today our topic is fruitfulness through mercy. We're in session number 11, which means that we are just two more topics away from the end of the longest series we've ever had as a church. I think our longest before now was 12. This is a 13-part series, the first of its kind, and it's been fruitfulness by mercy in many respects. The banner shows us now we are on number 11, as circled, titled Fruitfulness by Mercy. Fruitfulness by Mercy. So we want to thank God for that. And um, in this particular session, we will be looking at how God uses the uh, principle and his power of mercy to help us to be fruitful in certain areas of our lives. And then next week, we'll look at favor. And the last one will be divine companionship of fruitfulness by companionship. So let us continue to be engaging and expectant. As I've said, all these messages are on those portals I described earlier on. God bless you. So the sanctification we have been looking at, we have been looking at it from the realm of us being sanctified in the spirit. Somebody say spiritual sanctification. Then we have looked at emotional and intellectual sanctification. Say sanctification of my soul. For you to have a true freedom in life, you must have a sanctified willpower, a sanctified emotional power, sanctified intellectual power. When your will is sanctified, that is your soul now being sanctified. When your will is sanctified, uh, before I say that, I'll just quickly go back to spiritual sanctification. Most believers understand that when they are in Christ, they are a new creation and all things have passed away. You find that your spirit man is truly regenerated. A truly born-again person will know that there is a difference. They don't see a physical difference per se, but they see something from their inside, having a desire for the things of God, just wanting to please God. That is a changed man. That is what spiritual sanctification does. Now, we are not supposed to stop at that because we are also supposed to have the sanctification of our soul. Because in the soul is our willpower, our emotional power, and it's also our intellect. A person who is sanctified in the soul or experiencing the sanctification of the soul, because the sanctification of the spirit is one time, you get born again once by faith, through, by, by, by grace, through faith. That's what the Bible tells us. But the sanctification of the soul is something you continue to apply yourself to. The Bible says in Romans 12 that we must be transformed by what? The renewing of our minds. Romans chapter 12 verse 1 and 2. So sanctification of the soul requires us to continue to subject our will to the spirit of God so that we continue to align with the will of God. He says, my ways are not your ways, neither are my thoughts the way I think your thoughts. But when we are operating by the sanctified soul, what we find is that we desire to will like him. We desire to think like him. And it is powerful. The same thing to do with our emotions. Our emotions are no longer going to be so easily subject to the environment and the situations and the pressures of life. A sanctified emotion is under check, is in a state of rest, the rest and the peace of God every time. It's what Jesus demonstrated in the boat when there was so much wind and uh, disciples who were just getting sanctified to understand were confused and they were shouting, they were going to sink and Jesus was there sleeping. That's the kind of thing that gives you evidence that you have a sanctified emotion. 
Your joy is not tied to money or tied to, to things that are happening in the way that you want them to be happening. It's tied to the joy of the Lord. Hallelujah. So whether it is a time of challenge or a time of plenty, your joy is constant. It doesn't mean you don't mourn, but you mourn in the, in, the, in, the, in the context of a sanctified soul. We don't mourn like those that don't have a hope. Hallelujah. So everybody must understand that a sanctified soul is essential. And the same thing with our intellect. If you are, your intellect is sanctified, you are always thinking creatively like God. You are always thinking what you can do to be a blessing. You are always thinking differently. You don't think like somebody that wants to steal from somebody. You don't want to put a software that will be defrauding people. When you, are happy, when you have a sanctified intellect, because it takes the intellectual power to do that. Do you understand? There are some countries where some, some guys, thousands of them, will sit down on the computer from morning to evening and scan people all over the world. It's not one country. Don't think of that country. It's not one country. There are many countries like that. <laughs> They will scam people millions of dollars all over the world every day. They hack into people's accounts, hack into banks. And I sit down and ask myself, if you can write a software this powerful that can break into a bank, why can't you make money correctly? <laughs> it is not that mind is not sanctified. That's why. That one is still under the devil. It is intellectual power expressed by the dictates of the devil. When it is by God, it will create software that will make it possible for people to engage with things that are legitimate and help them, if it means going into their account to do it for them, legitimately. That's a business idea for somebody there. Hallelujah. But you know something? We need to be sanctified. But one thing we also need to understand is the sanctification that is physical, the sanctification of our body. Now, we understand that ultimately this body that we currently have, the physical flesh we have, will not go anywhere with us. It is earth to earth, dust to dust, because that's where it's come from and that's where it's going to remain. First Thessalonians 4.16, the Bible tells us that when, we, when Jesus appears, we will rise up and be with him, whether we are alive or we are dead at that time. It doesn't matter that we will be given a new body and we shall be exactly like him. We will have a glorified body. That is the ultimate of our physical sanctification. But I want us to understand that as we progress in life, there is also the place of our bodily sanctification being attuned to the will of God. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 It is God's mercy that prevents us from suffering the consequences of sinful actions that should have destroyed our bodies. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 and 24 tells us, that may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 24 says, he who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. We read these scriptures a lot uh, because they have been the anchor of our series. And so every one of us must understand that the Bible talks about whole spirit, whole soul, whole body being sanctified. And it is God who is faithful that we do it. This physical sanctification is orchestrated by two aspects mostly of the spirit of, of the manifestation of the spirit of God. We have been reading Isaiah chapter 11 verse 2. The very first one says the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. 
And then he talks about the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge, and then the spirit of the fear of the Lord. We need to understand these things because the spirit of the... Now, God says that my spirit manifests these seven ways. So we need the wisdom of God to know how to engage. When we pray to the Holy Spirit, when we pray to God by the Holy Spirit and asking for a feeling of the Holy Spirit, we need to understand that he would not manifest outside these seven realms. The seven realms of manifestation of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of the Lord. Now, it says that it shall come upon him. It was a prophecy about Christ, as we have always understood and explained. But it is also something that is our benefit, is also of our benefit because we are joint heirs with Christ. Amen. So, when he says the Spirit of the Lord, Jesus said something in Luke 4.18. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me and he has anointed me. He has separated me. The word anointed means he has empowered me to preach the good news to the poor. So the sanctification of the body orchestrated by the spirit of the Lord is one of the things that is demonstrated through God's mercy. It's not something that we work for. It's not something that we deserve like grace works. But it is something that we must all understand that we constantly need to see that the mercy of God should be helping us under the spirit of the Lord to be delivered from those things that would be consequences of our sinful actions. Now, Christ never sinned. The Bible says he knew no sin. He knew no sin, but he was made sin for us. So as he knew no sin, he became a person who enjoyed the spirit of the Lord to show us how even when we are in sin, the mercy of God the spirit of the Lord working on our lives causes the mercy of God to help us also to do the things that we have been called to do. And then the spirit of the fear of the Lord, the last aspect of it, is the one that keeps us consistently seeking after him, desiring to be like him. So we've talked a lot about the manifestation of the wisdom of God, the knowledge of God, especially as it has to do with our intellect. But when it comes to understanding the spirit of the Lord with the sanctification of our body, we must see how the spirit of the Lord and the spirit of the fear of the Lord helps us in receiving God's mercy. Now, I want to quickly say the physical sanctification orchestrated by the spirit of the Lord is what emancipates us from sin and all physical limitations. You see, we must understand that our salvation, the word sozo, which is the Greek word for salvation, really talks about many things. It talks about new birth. Somebody say new birth. Say new birth. Say physical healing and deliverance. So sanctification or salvation is not just about new birth. Salvation is also about our healing and also our deliverance. Simply because our, our new birth is not just the ultimate. We are saved to save others, to help save others. We are saved to be called into the ministry of reconciliation. So it is impossible for us to do such things without being healed ourselves. When Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel and heal the sick and lay hands on those who are sick and so on and so forth and gave us that, what we call the great commission. If you look at it very well, there is no way a person who is suffering any of those things can be effective in making those things happen. Have you ever seen a sick man praying for another sick man? It's impossible. The person who is dying needs to be prayed for. 
So a person cannot be saved and be tied to a bed and not be able to move from that bed. No, that's not God's intention. God's intention is that that person is saved and they are able to go about and help as many who are bound by the spirit of sickness. And this is sickness in many ways, including emotional, marital uh, problems, uh, intellectual issues, challenges of different types. It doesn't have to be only physical illness. So I'm saying this so that we understand that our salvation needs us to enjoy new birth, healing, and deliverance all time. Healing and deliverance, we need to consistently be getting the mercy of God to enjoy because they are the things that the enemy will be seeking to put on us to try to hinder us. If he cannot stop you from being saved, he will continue to attempt to stop you from being incapacitated in one way or the other so that it becomes very difficult for you and I to be able to engage in the ministry of reconciliation wherein we have been called. But the Lord's mercy will continue to prevail for us in the mighty name of Jesus. So two signs of mercy that we need to understand every time. Mercy is extended to the offender by way of forgiveness. That's one very important thing. Mercy is extended by God to the offender or the sinner by way of forgiveness. So mercy is equivalent to forgiveness where there is sin involved. And also mercy is extended to anyone who is suffering by way of healing and comfort. God sends healing. God sends comfort to anyone who is suffering by his mercy. And we will come back to those two things later on. But we must understand that mercy can also be seen as a compassionate treatment of those who are in distress. Whether that distress is caused by their own foolish actions of sin or a guilt from sin, or they have just been, uh, they have just been thrust by a debilitating condition, physical condition. The mercy of God is what God makes available to help such people for, from, uh, to be delivered from such uh, situations of life. So any kind of distress, any kind of discomfort, disease, any of those things that the devil puts on humanity to make life difficult for them are things that the, the, the mercy of God has been made available. Now, in common terms, mercy and grace are usually used uh, interchangeably, but we must understand that they are very different. They don't mean the same thing. Whilst you can see them as the, as the two sides of the same coin of salvation, mercy on one side, grace on one side, but we must understand that they are, even though they are interrelated in that way, they are very different. Every time you think of mercy, think forgiveness. Think, think compassion. Think forgiveness. Think withholdment, withholding of punishment. Think such things that is prevented to be meted out to somebody who is deserving punishment. That is mercy in one way. So every time you think about mercy, think, remember forgiveness. God forgave us out of his mercy. God continues to forgive us out of his mercy. Every time you think mercy, think in the context that God withholds the punishment that is rightly due us out of his mercy. The Bible says the wages of sin is what? Is death. If not for God's mercy, we would have all died. David said, if God should mark iniquity, Psalm 66, who shall 
stand. No chance. No chance. First, we would have not been given the chance to even have salvation. And even after we got born again, if, we're, if God was still continuing to mark iniquity, even after we got born again, none of us would still be alive. Many preachers would have died because they have lied many times in wanting to preach to other people the salvation of the, of the Lord. Many people would have found themselves just going on the street and dying because they are consistently finding themselves. Not because they want to. I'm not talking about people who just willfully like to be sinning. In fact, I doubt if a person is truly born again. If after you are born again, you just want to continue sinning. That is why you need to check whether you are truly born again. But I'm talking about these weaknesses that continue to permeate in the lives of people. That continues to make it difficult for people to stand without understanding the grace of God and the spirit of God that helps them. So, mercy is about forgiveness of the sinner and withholding punishment that they rightly should have, especially by way of death. Death physically, death spiritually, death emotionally, all kinds of death that they could have had. But you see, grace is what comes to people uh, by a reason of endowment of blessings that are not deserved. So a sinner, somebody who gets born again, and somebody who comes to the Lord to be born again, gets the blessing of God that they did not work for. So mercy is about preventing some kind of punishment. Grace is about releasing some kind of blessing, both undeserved. The blessing, the, 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 the mercy does not allow us to get what we deserve. But grace prevents us. Grace is what gives us what we don't deserve. Mercy prevents us from getting what we deserve by way of punishment. But grace gives us what we do not actually deserve by way of blessings. So think about them those two ways and then you will find things. Well, now we're going to look at some scriptures that will help us because some of us do not understand how a believer in the life of Christian, you must continue to hold on to mercy and grace consistently. You must continue to be in active pursuit of mercy and grace. You can never outgrow mercy and grace till we see Christ. So we must understand how they work for us and how they help us to run this race. Many people have failed in their race and have given up on their journey simply because they neglect the place of mercy and the place of grace. We looked at grace extensively last week. But because of their interrelationship, we'll talk a little bit about it again today, but our focus is on mercy. So we must understand and continue to receive mercy in two main ways. So the first one, like I said, is mercy as it relates to forgiveness or withholding of punishment. I want to read Paul's account to Timothy first in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. Let's read it together. We're going to read verse 15 and 16. Everybody, let's go. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. This is Paul speaking now. He called himself a chief sinner. And then he said, this is the point, verse 16. Let's read it together. He said, however, for this reason, I obtained mercy that in me first... Christ came into the world. Sorry, let's read, let's read it again. My screen is going on and off. Okay. However, for this reason, I obtained mercy that in me first, Jesus Christ might show 
all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. He said, I obtain mercy so that God can show me as a pattern. If what he's saying is that if I could be saved, I who was against Christ, I who was persecuting the body of Christ, and those who named the name of the Lord, and those who were trying to be saved, if I could be saved by mercy, he's saying to them that it's an example for you all to see. And so this is why we must understand that there is no one beyond the mercy of God. I said there is no one beyond the mercy of God. So if there is any situation of your life that has held you back for so long because you felt that even though you believe that you have been saved, but you continue to think about this thing and you think that you, you just, you know, it's so difficult for you to get it out of your mind, you must submit it to the Lord today. You must submit it to the mercy of God today and say, Lord, have mercy on me. Paul said, if I, who was, in fact, he said, I am a chief sinner. He said, if I could obtain mercy, God has shown us that as an example. And I would like to read again John chapter 8. John chapter 8. This is the story of the woman caught in adultery. It's a very vicious, very, very vicious circumstances that would have claimed the life of this woman. Somebody that uh, I, I preach about a lot because her story intrigues me. And her story can be related to many of our lives today. The Bible says this woman was caught in adultery and they said the very act. So it was not a guess matter. It was not as if it was an accusation that was false. It was not as if it was a hypothetical situation. It was a real situation. It was exactly what she did. It was exactly what she was caught in. Now, the Bible says... Under the law of Moses, such a person should be stoned to death. And there were these people who pursued her to do just that. They were out to execute that punishment. They were out to make sure that the punishment that the law says she should receive is exactly what she should have received. Of course, we all find it very interesting to to ask whatever happened to the man because you, you, you expect that there should be another man who was to be stoned as well. Maybe he ran ahead of them. Maybe he escaped. Whatever it is. But somehow they got a hold of this woman and the punishment was about to be meted out. And here is this person. Thank God she ran to Christ. Somebody say she ran to Christ. Now you see the Bible says the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into it and are what? Say. When you run into Christ, you run to mercy. Every time you run to Christ, anything that is seeking to just meet out a punishment, to make sure that this is it again, you have done this, you have done that. Don't run away from Christ, run to Christ. When you see somebody who says, oh, my life is this and that, and you know, somehow I just feel ashamed. I don't want to come to church again. I don't even, because I just think I've gone off that much. You say, no, 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 no. That is the, that is the more reason why you should run to Christ. Don't be like the prodigal son that kept on going and going and going until he found himself in a pig's pen. You don't need to reach a pig's pen. That guy would have gone back home much earlier. Instead of going to be looking for pig's food, the time the money finished was enough. He would have, from that point, walked back home. It would have been better for him. It, thank God he still realized at the point where he, 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 was, he was not giving pig's food. <laughs> he still realized. We should run back to Christ. Because in Christ is mercy. Hallelujah. I say in Christ is mercy. 
So this woman ran to Christ and fell at his feet, the Bible says. We'll read it from verse 10. Let's read John chapter 8, verse 10. The Bible says, when Jesus, let's go together, everybody. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And then verse 11. Let's go. She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Those phrases are very important as far as mercy is concerned. Mercy does not condemn. Mercy does not judge. Mercy relieves you from condemnation and judgment. Victory over, triumphing over judgment and triumphing over condemnation is one of the things, our two things that uh, mercy does. In this case, we see triumphant, a, a triumphing of a person over condemnation. He said, has no one condemned you? Jesus said to them, whoever is without sin, let him be the first to cast, let him be the one to cast the first stone. And as he said that, the Bible says one by one, they dropped their stones and went away. Thank God. They had the conscience to think that they also were having sin. And so they could not. First John chapter 1 verse 9 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Our Pentecostal radicalism has somehow taught us over the years that we cannot say we have sin because we have been saved. Yes, we are no longer sinners. We are no longer sinners. We were sinners. We are now saved, but we are not free from the, the, the manipulation of the enemy to make us to sin. We are free from the dominion of sickness, but in our ignorance and foolishness and prayerlessness, we may fall. That is why the Bible says, even though the righteous may fall seven times, not the sinner falling seven times, the righteous may fall seven times. It says, what? He shall rise again. Because mercy is always available. Hallelujah. This has nothing to do with saying that we can live our lives anyhow and then say mercy should prevail. No, that's not the context. Like I said, if you are truly a child of God, you want to please God. When I found out growing up as a young child that my father loved me a lot. Of course, he loved all of us. He, didn't, he never showed any partiality. He did everything he could for all of us as young kids, even those who were not his direct biological children. He was a man who was gracious, no doubt. But I noticed that he had specific, peculiar interest in me. He believed in me a lot. He could leave money with me. He trusted me as a 10-year-old. He discussed things you would discuss with a 20-year-old. He believed in me so much. I did not want to fail him. When I saw that, I did not want to fail him. I, I felt bad every time I did something that offended him or everything, every time I felt a letdown. How much more my heavenly father, who loved you so much, gave his son for you. The Bible says he loved the world so much. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes. So every one of us must understand this, that there is the place whereby we must continue to show a demonstration of a, reciproc a, rec a reciprocation or reciprocating that love back to him who loved us first. So we do that. However, even in all that, we may find that from time to time, we are like this woman caught in adultery. 
I'm not saying that you do a physical act of adultery, but you do things that undermine the love of God for you. You say things, you act in ways, you let him down, I let him down. But we must all understand that the same principle that was shown here, this woman running to God, running to Christ, is the same one we must use all the time. He said, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, but, and the truth is not in us. He said, but God is faithful. Somebody say, God is faithful. He said, who will not allow us? So he is faithful. He will not allow us to be destroyed by that sin. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from unrighteousness. Every believer must understand that we have a duty to discover our straying off from time to time. We have a duty to see how we are letting him down from time to time. As we examine ourselves and examine our hearts. It is not that we are living in a legalistic way and saying that his grace is not sufficient. It's just that we are saying that as a fallible people and as a people who live in the flesh, we continue to trust him for his mercy to help us in the days that we find ourselves falling. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, this is victory over condemnation. The devil will always want to condemn you with what you have done. Or what you have not done. He will say, you know. The Bible says, he, he that knows what to do and does not do it to him, it is sin. You are a sinner now. <laughs> you know what to do. You didn't do it. You are a sinner now. <laughs> you are supposed to pray for that person. You didn't pray. You are a sinner now. You are supposed to have given them that money. You had it in your pocket when they came. You are a sinner now. <laughs> That's his work. Going about just condemn, trying to accuse and condemn. The Bible says, Jesus said, where are your accusers? Where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? Because accusation and condemnation, they go together. He first accuses you. The moment you say, ah, that is true. Then he says, you see, you are a sinner now. That's condemnation. <laughs> Jesus said, I don't condemn you. But do what? Go and sin no more. Simply because every time you sin, you put yourself in this situation where you have to be running from people. Do you understand what I'm saying? Integrity helps you to be strong. Sin and compromise weakens you and your, undermines your standing, even with people, not just with God. If you are somebody that just opens your mouth and five out of six things you say has to be checked twice. You are a child of God. You, they love you very much. But the truth is that you, you have watered down your person. So they can accuse you. They'll say, ah, who's, oh, fantastic. They say, who told you? They say, oh, it was brother this. Say, ah. <laughs> it's not a good testimony. <laughs> or your sister this. Ah, no, no, no brother, no brother. Don't rejoice yet. Let us check. <laughs> That's not a good testimony. <laughs> That's not a good testimony. That's not a good testimony. You must be somebody who consistently can maintain that integrity. And, and, and because what Jesus is saying is go and sin no more because even though my mercy is there, I must understand that I have been sanctified and dignified to not allow myself to be falling into the hands of men. King David was a man who was loved by God, empowered by God, engraved by God, did many things by God. The moment he put himself in the way of compromise, he became a man who had to be running even from his own son. It's terrible. So I, this has nothing to do with dignifying sin. It wastes your time. It wastes your life. It undermines everything Christ came to do. 
But I am also saying to you, if you find yourself for any reason whatsoever, out of ignorance or out of just some kind of foolishness, you find yourself having compromised, you need to know how to run to the Lord and overcome this condemnation. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for us who are in who? So it is in him that there is safety. It is in him. The devil will want to make you see that you can't stay in him again. You say, oh, it is in him I live and move and have my being. You say, hey, if it is so, why are you thinking that way? Why did you do this yesterday? Why did you do that yesterday? You are no more in him. Then you agree with him and you continue to separate yourself. Even though he's saying, my son, come back home. There is mercy. My daughter, come back home. There is mercy. Every one of us must understand that there is mercy to be received every time that we need forgiveness. And God withholds punishment because of the mercy made it out to us. Jonah is a very good example. A man loved by God so much, selected to go and preach to a people God himself has prepared. A people in a town called, a city called Nineveh. And Jonah did not want that assignment. He did not like it. He decided to flee to Tarshish. If only Jonah had read the Psalms, where David was saying that there is no place God can, even if I go to the depths of the sea, he is there. If I go to the mountains, he is there. He would have not bothered to run anywhere at all. <laughs> Hallelujah. So there is no point. There is no point. I thank God that there were no CCTVs in when I was growing up. This kind of CCTV you can put in the house now and see what everybody is doing when you are away. Because they will tell us not to go and play ball. We, all of us, as soon as the man drove out, we start jumping. <laughs> we bring out the ball and then we'll go outside. All our feet will be dirty. We'll play and play and play. I will be very tired. Now, we were so foolish. When we come back, we won't clean our feet. <laughs> but we'll go and sit down and carry our books. <laughs> so dad will come in. He will just say, have you guys gone out today? Have you been reading? we say, I've been reading. We are all of us reading. <laughs> we have been studying very well. Then he will just look at our feet. He will say, all of you, follow me. <laughs> and he will give us some good treatment like that. Next time we will remember not to do that again. <laughs> we thought that there were no eyes watching us. You know, those days there were nothing like CCTV. Even though he would have seen us all filing out and filing back in. <laughs> Hallelujah. But that is what we do at times. We, we, we do things as if God is not seeing us. Jonah, Jonah decided to go the other direction. But God's mercy came back. He, he was almost going to lose his life and swallowed by the fish. But in that belly of the fish was the manifestation of God's mercy. How did he get it? Let's, let's look at it. John chapter 2 verse 1. Everybody let's read. Jonah chapter 2 verse 1. Jonah chapter 2 verse 1. Then, the Bible says, Jonah 2.1, please. Thank you. Everybody, let's read together. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. Verse 2 says, And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he heard me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. And you did what? You heard my voice. And he kept on eulogizing the Lord. And verse 10. Let's read verse 10 together. Everybody want to go. So the Lord spoke to the fish. And it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Somebody say mercy. He would have died there. He would have died there. I believe so. He would have died there. It was God's intention that he goes to Nineveh. But he would have died. He said, I cried. He would have died, ended his life there, and somebody else would have gone to Nineveh. But he said, I cried. So stop 
holding yourself back from crying to the Lord for the mercy you need. Some of you did, some of us did things in our childhood and many years ago, and those things continue to haunt us today. Say to the Lord, have mercy on me. There is nothing that the blood of Jesus Christ has not been shed to clean, to cleanse. He shed it once to cleanse everything. All we need to do is when there is the attempt of the enemy to keep using those things as points of condemnation, we must say, Lord, have mercy. Every one of us must understand this. Not everybody was brought up in a good, godly environment. Even those of us who were, it's just God that helped us. As teenagers, we attempted some things. We attempted some nasty things that only God just helped us out of the mercy and the prayers of our parents and grandparents. So, but none of those things, some of those things still have consequences today, but none of those things should hold us back. All the things, whether you, you, you did something light or you did something heavy, whatever it is, bring it to the blood and ask, cry like Jonah and ask for the mercy of God. You just need to humble yourself. Humble yourself always. There was the story of these two people that went to the temple to pray in Luke chapter 18. One was a Pharisee described and one was a tax collector. Let's read their story from verse 9. This is where we must see how we need to just be humble. Don't say that, you know, I've gone this race so far, I've done this, I've done that. But the thing continues to haunt you. Humble yourself and cry out to God. Luke 18 verse 9. Let's go. Everybody, let's read together. He said, and also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Can you imagine this? He says, some trust in themselves. They trust in themselves. They believe that they are sorted. They believe that they have titles. They believe that they are old in the faith. They believe that they are this and they are that. He said they thought in themselves that they were righteous and then there is a way they despised others. They saw, always saw others as the ones that need mercy. They always see others as those that need help. They never see themselves. This is a very dangerous place to be. Look at what happened to those two men. Verse 10. Verse 10. He said two men went up to the temple to pray. Don't be tired. Let's read it. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Verse 11. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. And then he began to give the CV of other men. He said what? Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. Such impunity. They are in the temple to pray. Somebody sat next to you to pray. You are praying you want to pray. They want to pray. And then you are there assessing them and assessing yourself better than they are. That is the quickest way to, de, to, to demarcate yourself from the mercy of God. The Bible says, he now began to reel out his own CV. Let's read it, verse 12. Verse 12. He said, I fast twice a week. Wonderful. Somebody say wonderful said, I give tithes of all that I possess. Someone say, more wonderful. Verse 13. He said, and the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. 
This is the language of a person who understands mercy. Of course, he called himself a sinner because he was a sinner. You don't have to call yourself a sinner because you are the righteousness of God. But have mercy. God be merciful to me is a good prayer. God be merciful to me. Every one of us must continue to ask God for his mercies at all times. One of the reasons why we are finding certain aspects of our lives in a place of a struggle is because we refuse to acknowledge the mercy of God that we need. Look at what Jesus said in verse 14. This was the man who was the sinner. Look at what Jesus said about him. Let's read it together loud. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Jonah humbled himself in the belly of the fish. That is why the Bible says, Jonah chapter 3 verse 1, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Now some of us may look and say, well, I don't usually, I don't, I can't see myself like a Jonah. I've never been called to go and do something like Jonah and all that. But you see, everything God instructs us to do, either by direct revelation or by reason of the provisions of scripture, every time we fail in doing those things, we have sinned. It is as simple as that. We have sinned. When you do what you shouldn't do or refuse to do what you should do, there is no two ways. About, it's not a mistake. It is a sin. Hallelujah. But that is not to make you afraid or worried or under the bondage of sin. No. That is for you to understand how much you and I need the mercy of God. When you find yourself in a situation that God has delivered, has sent you to go and do something or is expecting you from something, uh, to do something and you are refusing for whatever reason whatsoever, you must be like this man that did not exalt himself but humbled himself so that he be exalted. This is the way God expects a Christian to live, especially in this end time. It is very difficult it is very difficult for a child of God not to be influenced by the situations that we now face. I tell you, these are the most wicked times that compromise is much, much easier to be a partaker of than ever before. You now have things that can make you compromise so easily. You, you know, many years ago, there were very few sources of things. You had to physically go to a place and get involved with people who are not doing things correctly. Then the advent of the radio and the television especially came, and then you were bound by time to watch television at certain times of the day. So those were times you could avoid. When I was young, my father said, anything after 9 o'clock news is useless. <laughs> that was his philosophy. Those days, it is true. Anything after 9.30, you, you, whatever you are looking for there, whatever you see is what you get. <laughs> Hallelujah. But now it is what? 24-7. Not just on television, on your tablet, on your phone. Any time is there for you. So there are many, many avenues of you being polluted and corrupted, watching things and engaging in things you should not be that, than ever before. If you had an illicit relationship those days, in the many, many years ago, maybe the generation of my parents, you had to really work at it to make it work. 
to make it happen, to keep it discreet. You had to, you had to write letters, you had to do things and, and go very secretly, do things that were very, very difficult. Now it's very easy. You can be by your own wife like this and be compromising with another woman in this day and age. You can. Or by your husband. Don't think it's a man's matter alone. You can. There are many women who are involved with other men right under the nose of their husband in this day. This day and age. This day and age. May God continue to deliver us from the spirit of the end times. In the name of Jesus. You have to be guarding your heart. Now, if you find yourself in any of those situations, what should you do? Should you continue in sin and say grace may abound? Paul said, God forbid. But as for his mercy, it is not a good, you know it is not the way to live. You are not enjoying it, so don't do it. So you ask God, Lord, grant me mercy. Then you take physical steps. You block that number. You don't say, Lord, grant me mercy. Jesus said to that woman, go and do what? Sin no more. So you don't say, Lord, grant me mercy. And then tomorrow, you say, Susie, are you there? <laughs> I prayed last night that God should help me. I don't know. I always say Susie a lot. So don't think I have anything against you if your name is Susie. Susie. <laughs> then Susie, you say, put your picture again. <laughs> I put your video again. You say, Susie, I prayed yesterday that we should stop this nonsense, you see. <laughs> you didn't pray at all. If you pray after you say, Lord, thank you, I'm delivered in Jesus' name. Susie, block. Hallelujah. And whatever thing you can do to make sure that you stop those kind of things, it helps you. Friends, God wants you sanctified, spirit, soul, and body. Enjoy everything he has given to you. These are the devices of the devil. And when you ask God, Lord, have mercy on me, what you find is that you find yourself liberated. I say you are liberated. That woman, Jesus said, go. Freedom. Somebody say freedom. Say go and sin no more. And we never read that anybody picked up a stone to try her again. Powerful. A woman who was almost killed by the enemy. But adventure, some of the things that are holding us back today, like that Pharisee, is simply because we are refusing to ask for God's mercy. But today, God is opening our eyes to overcome all such devices in the mighty name of Jesus. Then number two, mercy as it relates to having compassion upon a person with a need. Mercy as it relates to having compassion upon a person with a need. This is when there is a need for something. This is very, very important and most relevant to Christians, much more than the first category of mercy, which is about forgiveness. Very relevant, but this one is this one is an everyday thing. There is always a need. There is something you need, and uh, the Bible makes us to understand that in the place of mercy is where we can get those things that God has given to us that seems not to be coming to us just yet. Mark chapter ten is where we read from verse forty-two to verse fifty-two, but I want us to read from verse forty-seven now. This is blind Bartimaeus. When he heard that Jesus, it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to do what? To cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then verse 48. Many warned him to be quiet. Somebody say they judged him. Say they judged him. They warned him to be quiet. They judged him as not acceptable. They judged him as somebody who should not be qualified to see Christ. They said, be quiet. But the Bible says, but he cried out what? 
all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. Can you cry out with me today? Son of David, have mercy on me. Say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. This man was blind, physically blind. I don't know what it could be these days. Your blindness may not be physical. Obviously, you are looking at me now. So it's not a physical thing. But you know that there is some kind of crossroad. Have you been there before? You just can't see the way forward in some certain situations. It's very common in our lifetime. That is a blindness of today that you need to say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. You are looking at that child, but you can't see the way to come connect and make things move forward. Jesus, have mercy on me. You are looking at your own marriage is disintegrating and you can't place what it is. You, you love your wife. You love you loved each other. But certain things are now happening and it's all a confusion. Jesus, have mercy on me. You have been doing your work diligently well. It, there doesn't seem to be any problem. But suddenly, out of nowhere, this trouble there, that trouble there, and it looks as if your position and your job is threatened. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. You need to keep looking at your situations and refuse the voices that will tell you that you should keep quiet. Many voices will tell you you don't qualify. Some will tell you you caused it by yourself. Some will tell you that it is your ignorance. Some will tell you it's your color. Some will tell you it's your gender. Some will tell you it is your ancestral spirit. <laughs> ancestral people. <laughs> that is very common with people from background. They say, this was what happened. My father, he died at 40. My uncle died at 41. And this one died. At, and now I've been diagnosed with the same thing and I'm 39. So the devil say, yeah, keep counting now. Keep counting, keep counting. He said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. That is what physical sanctification is. You are delivered from that stronghold. You are brought out by God's mighty hand. This man could not see. He sat down. He heard Jesus was coming. And then people said, keep quiet. Keep quiet where? Keep quiet how? This is the man who I heard. He's giving eyes to those who could not see. This is the man who I heard. He's making those who were lame in their feet to walk again. I will not keep quiet. Say, I will not keep quiet. Say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Are you the only one? You have to borrow this, borrow this, borrow every time. Borrow, 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 borrow. No, 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 no. You say, Lord, all those human beings I'm borrowing for are human beings like me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. You need to break yourself. This man saw that if I sit down here, I will die here. I will be blind here. I will be limited here. He didn't ask for money. When you have eyes to see, you can make money much more. So he cried out. This is why believers must understand that this has nothing to do with pride. You go before the Lord and say, Jesus, have mercy on me. Hmm. The Bible says, so Jesus stood still, verse 49. Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called him. They called blind man saying to him, be of good cheer, rise. He is calling you. Hallelujah. The same accusers, the same ones who told you that you had no chance. They will be the ones singing with your testimonies. I said they will be the ones singing with you with your testimonies. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ. A woman told me as far back as 1984. I was a 15-year-old boy just trying to get into university. Some of you have heard this story before. Passed my exam very well. The entrance exam did very well in it. And here was this woman who did not want to see my name on the list. And when she opened and opened, without looking at the first page, she opened and opened. 
and he said my name was not there. Among those who made over 200, I said, no, it must not be. I may not have made the cutoff because I don't know how they work out the cutoff, but not to have made 200 in that exam was impossible. 200 out of 500, only math, physics, chemistry, and English that I took. And when she opened the register again, she skipped the first page. Those were the days that there were no computers. We had to go physically and they opened registers for us to look at our names. <laughs> and then they used typewriter to type our letters. <sighs> it's making me feel very old now. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, this was 1984. 1984, uh, around about September. And uh, I said, please, ma'am, check the first page. And then she looked at the first page. As soon as she opened the first page, my name was number five because they put you from the highest and went back down to zero. The first person got 302. The second person got about 295. The third person got about 284. And then the next person got 280. And I got 273. I was the fifth on the list for civil engineering that year. But this woman did not want to reckon with me because I look very tiny and look like somebody who does not deserve it. I was only 15. You see what I look like now? You can imagine what I look like in 15 years. But the truth of the matter is that the woman was about to write me off. And from that day, and then she opened it. She said, well done. You did well. You're on the merit list. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The same woman who said your name is not there said congratulations with the same lips in under 10 minutes. Who is it today that is telling you that you cannot, your situation cannot change? Who is it that is telling you today that things cannot work for you again? It is a lie of the devil. All you need is the mercy of God. I say all you need is the mercy of God. The mercy of God is what comes into the situation of a man and gives him a testimony that even he knows that his hands could not have orchestrated it. Hallelujah. May the mercy of God come to you today. In the name of Jesus. Many years ago, I worked for 10 years. I worked in the University of Overhampton. You have heard my stories many times. And I did my best to serve that organization. And I just wanted to get some kind of promotion. But it never came through. It never came through. When the mercy of God came through, God jumped me two steps beyond what I looked for for 10 years. Put me at professorial level that I did not even know I was asking for. I was asking for something less. The mercy of God says, son, you have more than that. Hallelujah. The mercy of God will apply to you today. Not only did he put me at that level, put me in central management. Gives me a voice that is beyond the voice of many professors in the university I work today. This God can come true for you with his mercy. And his mercy will triumph over judgment for you. His mercy will triumph over condemnation for you. In the name of Jesus. We do not say these things as a boast. We say it to understand that we are living it in this present time. Matthew chapter 17. Very quickly, Matthew chapter 17. This man brought his child to the disciples. They say, verse 14, when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, verse 15, Lord, have mercy. Verse 15, go with me now. Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely. For he often falls into the fire and often into the water. Can you imagine that torment of the enemy? This is why many of us watch situations of our life at times helplessly. And instead of saying, Lord, have mercy, we're just crying and saying, oh, what is this? What is this? Oh, what am I going to do about this? Oh, this situation is too much. 
And then you'll be blaming your husband, blaming your wife, blaming your pastor. <laughs> that my pastor, he doesn't pray enough. That's why we're in this situation. <laughs> it has nothing to do with any human being. It is the work of one person called the devil. Somebody said the devil. That is his work. To steal, to kill, to destroy. Don't blame anybody. Don't blame anybody. Look at him and deal with him. By the mercy of God. Look at what that man said. Verse 15. Everybody, let's read now. Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. He said, verse 16, so I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Now, that was his first error. He thought that man can help. It's not a wrong thing, because it was a right thing to do. These were disciples of Christ. But his error was that he was putting his trust in them. But thank God, at the very last minute, he realized it is about crying out to mercy to the one who I should cry out to. Do you understand what I'm saying? Some of you will say that you are praying to God to give you something. Maybe money, for example. But you are trusting your bank. You are trusting somehow your, 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 your contribution. You are trusting people. You are trusting things. Even though you say you are praying, that is not the way to do it. When you pray to God and say, Lord, have mercy, keep your focus on him. Look at what Jesus said. Look at what Jesus said, verse 17. He said, then Jesus said and said, oh, what faithless and perverse generation. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Then he said what? Bring him here to me. Bring him directly to my throne of grace where there is mercy. Bring him here to me. So mercy triumphs over faithlessness and perversion. Faithlessness of people. Faithlessness of brethren. Faithlessness of systems. Faithlessness of government. Faithlessness of systems of the world. Anything that should have brought an answer but is refusing to bring an answer. Go over it and cry out to the mercy. Cry out for mercy to the one who controls all things. Who in him everything consists. Who has a cattle on a thousand hills. Put your trust in him and cry out to him for mercy and watch him change your situation. I say he will change your situation. And verse 18, the Bible says, and Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him. And the child was what? Cured. From that very hour. The hour of mercy is the time of freedom. I say the hour of mercy is the time of freedom. You don't need to keep thinking the way you have been thinking. There is nothing God cannot do. I like that song we sang earlier. He is able. Great and mighty God. There is nothing he cannot do. I said there is nothing he cannot do. God is going to be showing you supernatural interventions as you put your trust in him and cry out to him for mercy. In the mighty name of Jesus. This race is a big race. It's an eternal race. You may be praying and say, Lord, I thank you. All my children are sorted now. They're grown. Very soon you start dealing with grandchildren. And if you're old enough, you'll deal with great-grandchildren. <laughs> you don't stop. When you look around you and it looks as if things are not working the way they should work, cry out for mercy. God's mercy is always there to help us in time of need. Micah chapter 6 verse 8 says, All we need to do is to love the mercy of God. He has shown you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you than to do justly. Micah 6 8, please. Than to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. I quote this scripture a lot, as you know. What does he require of me? 
to love mercy, to walk humbly with my God, to do justly, to live right, to live righteously as the righteousness of God that he has made me in Christ. Then to love his mercy. To love his mercy simply means I am consistently asking for mercy at the time I need to ask. I am not like that Pharisee. He said, then walk humbly with God, recognizing that without him I can do nothing, absolutely nothing. The Lord desires to show us his mercy indeed. God's mercy is always opening doors to grace. This is why I said they link together. We talked about grace a lot last week because we needed to see the many sides of grace. The Bible talks about all grace abounding towards us. All grace, all grace, different types of grace, all of it, God is able to supply. But we must understand, according to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 to 16, that we need to continually remember our faithful high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, to hold fast to our confession. He said, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but who is in all point tested as we are, yet without sin. Let's read verse 16 together. As we know, let's go, verse 16, one, two, go. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Every time you look at this verse, remember a house. Remember a house. All the rooms and the closets in the house are access to different type of graces. The kitchen is one grace. The bedroom is one grace. The stores, one grace. All the rooms in the house, grace, 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 grace. But you see, the master door that you have at the beginning that opens you to it is the door of mercy. You obtain mercy. It's like a key. You say, Lord, have mercy. When mercy opens the door for you, it leads you to the grace that you need. Every time you call out to God for mercy, it opens you up to different graces. Every time, every time. The grace that blind Bartimaeus needed was a physical touch of his eyes. But when he said, Lord, have mercy, and when God touched, when Jesus touched him, the Bible says that he received his sight. He got access to the grace to help him to be delivered. Every one of us must understand this consistently in our lives so that we can live victoriously. May God continue to help us to obtain mercy and find grace. In the mighty name of Jesus. Circumstances of life will change from time to time. In the history of this church, I can tell you in nine years, I've seen many things change for many people. I've seen many challenges of my own life through different phases of life, different things at different times. You cannot afford to go without. This is why our next series will be dealing with some of these things. You cannot afford to be without him. You cannot. You cannot. And the mercy of God is what he has put in place to continue to release you and I into the graces that he has supplied you will find yourself having a sufficiency in all things indeed, and you will be able to abound unto every good work in the mighty name of Jesus. Let's rise to our feet and thank God because he has spoken.